Bibles tonight, and if you would, go with me to the book of Philippians in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, and I, I trust that maybe you received a copy of the outline tonight, and uh, you'll be able to follow along. There's uh, many supporting verses that we will also look at tonight, but our text tonight is in the book of Philippians, and uh, those of you that are visiting tonight, or maybe those that haven't been here in a while, we've been going through this series uh, entitled Joy, Finding Joy in the Journey. And I think certainly all we face in everyday life as God's children, that uh, it's, it, sometimes it becomes a little difficult, the journey. God never promised us smooth seas. And, uh, you know, I find a lot of Christians lose their joy. And uh, the one thing I always uh, remind our church family as we started this series is this is one of the books, one of the letters to a church, just like our church, that God has included in the Word of God that the writer, Paul, is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's writing this from a prison. And uh, I, I think many times about how many times the word joy and rejoice uh, appear in this small book. And I think it's, it's a great testimony to, to all of us that if Paul can find joy sitting in a jail, then certainly we who are enjoying the life that we have can find joy and maintain joy in our Christian lives. So would you stand with me tonight if you're able to? And just a couple verses tonight as I've entitled the message, and you'll see where I got the title from, in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 19. We'll read verse 19, 20, and verse 21. And since it's just a few verses tonight, if you're able and you have a copy of God's Word or the outline, let's read these verses out loud together, all right? So we'll begin in verse 19 down through verse 21, all right? Verse 19, here we go, let's begin. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die, and to die is gain. What a tremendous couple of verses, and let's have a word of prayer as we get started this evening. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Pray that you bless our time together tonight. Lord, teach us by thy Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for reading along tonight in the Word of God. Now, if you look, and we've already gone through, we're just going verse by verse on Sunday nights, and we had made it down to verse number 18, and we begin this passage tonight. Now, look again at verse number 18 in, in chapter 1. The Bible says there, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Now, what we find in verse 18 is that Paul's major concern was that the gospel of Jesus Christ, while he was in prison, that it was still being preached. In other words, declared that people were telling other people about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People need to hear that because we serve a risen Savior. Amen. Because Jesus came to give His life that all who believe in Him would have eternal life. And that was Paul's desire. Now certainly, listen, Paul was doing his part while he was in jail. 
I mean, he had a captive audience. He had other prisoners. They couldn't go anywhere. Paul was preaching to every one of them, and a lot of them probably didn't want to hear it, but they couldn't escape the sound of Paul's voice in that prison. But we find that Paul's reach as far as his teaching and preaching the gospel, declaring the good news, as we call it, was only inside that prison. Paul's desire was that those in Philippi, that they were doing their part, that they were going out and telling others about how God sent his son. That's what Christmas is all about, is the reason we can rejoice is because God said that a Savior would come, and it was glad tidings of great joy. And we find here that this was Paul's desire. Now, while Paul was in prison, certainly Paul continued and maintained his joy in the Lord. Now, I've never been in jail. Uh, I'll tell you this, that if I ever were in jail, and I hope I don't find myself there, but the truth is, is that I wonder sometimes, would I be able to find the joy in my heart the way Paul found joy and kept his joy in the Lord? Andrew Bonner said, the best part of all Christian work is the part which only God sees. See, nobody else knew what Paul was doing while he was in prison. Yet Paul maintained that joy. God knew Paul's heart, just like another time when he was in prison with Silas and they were singing praises unto the Lord. Somebody said, love is the motive for working. Joy is the strength for working. And no matter what situation Paul found himself in, and here in, in prison, or Paul found himself maybe, uh, maybe going through a trial, or maybe on the, uh, the victory side of life, or maybe God was blessing him. No matter what situation, no matter what circumstance Paul found himself in, Paul had the ability to rejoice in the Lord. And it was that joyful spirit that carries us over into these three verses that we read tonight. Verse 19, 20, and 21. And what we find here in these verses is God is allowing Paul to explain why he has such a joyful attitude. I think all of us can learn something from this great man of God tonight. And so if you came to church tonight to receive something, then I want you to open your heart, I want you to look in the Word of God, and I want you to see three thoughts from Paul's life, reasons for his joyful attitude. Look at the first thing, and this is where it always has to start, is the foundation for rejoicing. There has to be a foundation. The Bible says here in verse number 19, look at it again, for I know. You ought to underline that word in your Bible, the word know, K-N-O-W. Paul says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now look, when Paul says, turn to my salvation, he's not talking here about, boy, I hope I get saved. The Apostle Paul had been gloriously saved on the road to Damascus. He had had a time in his life when he put his faith in Christ and Christ alone. You can see plenty evidence in his life that he was a saved, a born-again man in his life after he met the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's talking about is his life that he is in prison, that maybe there would come a time that he would be released from that prison. And so I want you to notice tonight the foundation because he uses, and God gives him this word, no. Now here's what it means. It means to perceive, to see or notice, to discern something or to discover something. 
Paul says, I know. This carries the idea of turning the eyes or the attention towards something. What was Paul discovering while he was sitting there in that prison there in, 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 as he was thinking about the Lord and the joy that he had? He was discovering that all of his suffering would produce something. In other words, listen, we all know that, that, that all good things work together, right? And Paul found himself there in this prison and he thought, God knows where I'm at. God allowed me to be here. God's allowed me to go through what I'm going through. There has to be a reason. There has to be a purpose to what I'm going through. But notice that the phrase here, it says, shall turn. Look at it again in verse 19. I know that this, my suffering, shall turn, he says. Now this, this phrase here means to turn out. That there would be a result of what he's going through. There would be an outcome. Well, what is he talking about here? He's talking about an outcome of events. Things that are happening in his life. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord shall deliver me, he says, from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the same man. The Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy saying, look... I just know this, that God is doing a work in my life and through my life, and God will deliver me from every evil work from this prison. And so Paul's imprisonment, he is saying, will work out, and here's the key, for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the furtherance of the work of God. Now, we think a lot of times, well, the man's in prison. I mean, how effective can he be for the Lord? Well, again, if you've ever studied the writings of Paul and how God worked in his life and how God used him, folks, I'm going to tell you, no matter where God puts you, God's going to give you an audience. God will give you a platform. God will give you a way to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, look, I know that all of this shall turn. There's going to be a result. There's going to be an outcome. Look at Philippians 1, same chapter. Go back to verse 6, and look what he says there. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, I'm, I'm just confident in the fact that God saved me, God's called me to, and by the way, every Christian should be a witness for Christ. Every last one of us. Every one of us should be declaring the truth, telling other people about the God that you know, that the God that saved you the God that changed your life. And Paul says, look, I am confident that if he began this work in me, that he, not me, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. Paul's confidence was in the plan of God, that God had a purpose in what was going on. But the foundation of Paul's joy was that, notice, first of all, the prayers of the church. He says in verse number 19 again, look at it. He says, I know that this, my suffering, shall turn to my salvation. But how is it going to do that? How is it going to turn? Through your prayer. Now, he's talking about the prayers of the church. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention earlier, but Claudia Dakers called me. And uh, I talked to her, and then I talked to Peter. And uh, her multiple sclerosis is, is flaring up. She's actually at the emergency room right now. They've been there for about two and a half hours and I told her, I said, I will mention it to the church tonight so that they will pray for you. 
And I told somebody this morning, I said, there is great value in being a part of a church family because we hold one another up in prayer. We lift one another before the Lord. We ask, we make petitions on behalf of one another. When one goes through a trial, we go through that trial with them. And one, when one rejoices, we rejoice with them. And so we need to pray for one another. And Paul says, look, if there's one thing that's going to help me while I am in this prison, it's your prayers. Paul says, I covet the prayers of the people of God, the church, the saints of God. Paul believed in prayer. And Paul knew that his deliverance would come from the prayers of God's people. Do you remember how Peter was in prison in the book of Acts? And Paul, uh, Peter was there and, and the church was praying for Peter. Now, a lot of people may differ on this. Maybe they were praying that they felt like Peter was not going to be released. Maybe they were praying for God's comfort, uh, God's peace, that uh, his suffering would not be much and that, uh, that Peter's ordeal would be one that he wouldn't have to go through a lot. Maybe others thought that uh, maybe Peter would be released. Uh, nobody really knows, but what we find from the Word of God is, is that Peter was released mysteriously by a messenger of God. And Peter walks out of that prison and he comes to the house where the church is praying for him. And he begins to knock on the door. And there's a, a lady that comes to the door, and Peter identifies who he is. And she does it. She goes in and tells everybody else, hey, Peter's at the door, and they didn't believe him. Now listen, folks, sometimes we pray, but the Bible says when we pray, we need to pray believing. Amen. Folks, can I tell you, why pray if you don't believe? Otherwise, you're spinning your wheels. You're wasting your time. And Paul believed in prayer. He believed that God was going to use the prayers of the church. And there had been many times that Paul had asked these people that were children of God, that were his brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for him. There were times where he asked the ministers and the saints of God to pray for the work of God. Look at Philippians 4 in verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Uh, Colossians 4, chapter 4, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. In other words, Paul says, look, I'm asking not only for your prayers, but that, that God would open a door, that God would give me opportunities to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so important that we realize every person that we come into contact with is a soul that Jesus Christ died for. And we need to make sure we talk to every last one of them. And Paul says, listen, I covet the prayers of the church, even if we, like Paul, find ourselves in prison for the faith, and that, that day may come here in the United States of America. But if we were to find ourselves in this situation, listen, God's work can continue, and here's how, through the power of prayer. And Paul believed in the power of prayer, and he appreciated the church praying for him. But notice also that he says, look, this is also going to turn there's going to be results, there's going to be outcome, the furtherance of the gospel, because secondly, of the supply of the Spirit. The Bible says 
He says, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. What you and I need is the mind of Christ and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We are, look, if you're saved tonight, according to the Bible, you are a Christian. The very word means little Christ. And every one of us should, every day of our lives, be more and more like Jesus Christ in the way we act, the way we treat others, every last bit, the way we love one another. And Paul says, look, the supply of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, while Paul was in prison, the Holy Spirit was providing every last thing that Paul needed in his life. The Holy Spirit was providing spiritual needs for the Apostle Paul, and he was providing physical strength for Paul as he was going through this very difficult time to carry on there while he was in prison. And can I tell you, listen, we are some 2,000 years removed from this time that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And can I tell you that the church today is not without power, that we have the same power that Paul had back in his day, and that power is the power of God. And every one of us need to understand that it is that supply, that power source that enables us as a church, just like it did Paul, to carry out those tasks that the church has been commissioned to do. Folks, without the power of God, we are useless. You know, we, you know you, honestly, you, you have to plug into some power source if you're going to run something. And what God's church needs is God's power. And whenever I go out in, in our community and I talk to folks about the Lord and I try to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, I always ask for God's Holy Spirit and God's enabling, God's power. When I stand to get up here behind this sacred desk, I ask the Lord, Lord, I need a measure of your power to preach your word. And Paul says, listen, I know that there's going to be an outcome, there's going to be a result of me being in this prison because of the prayers of God's people and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Look at Ephesians 3. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. So listen, if you want to ask, what was it that was the secret of Paul sitting in this prison and having such a joyful attitude, it was because he had people praying for him and he had the Holy Spirit's power in his life. Folks, that's all we ever really need is the praying of God's people for us on behalf of us and the Holy Spirit of God to empower us to do that which God's called us to do. But notice, not only do we see the foundation for rejoicing, but secondly, we see Paul's faith for rejoicing. Now, folks, listen, you and I need to continue to be men and women of faith. Look at the verse 20 tonight. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always... So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Now here's what Paul's saying. He says, I have faith to believe that Christ is going to work. He says, I am expecting Christ to work. Did you come to your church tonight 
just to kind of say, well, I was at church on Sunday night? Or did you come expecting to receive something from God? I always come to church saying, Lord, give me something for my life when I go to church. Every time I go, folks, listen, if you're going to come to God's house and you're going to open up God's word, you need to say, Lord, fill my cup, fill it up, Lord. I need something that's going to help me to get through this week. Paul was the same way while he was in prison. Lord, I need something. I have to maintain this joyful attitude, this, this right spirit within me. And Paul said, I have the faith to expect. Notice the phrase here, earnest. He says, my earnest expectation. Here's what that, listen, that, this is what it literally carries is, it's a continual belief. Now, some of us have faith, but our faith is, is a spot here, a spot here, and a spot here. Paul's faith was a continual belief. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I, again, I, I don't know if this has ever happened in your life. I've known a lot of Christians who have come to the place where they have put their faith in Christ. And we know salvation is a one-time experience. When you receive Christ, you get all of Him. But I've known some Christians over the years who have struggled in this area of their salvation. Uh, maybe after they got saved, something happened. Maybe they did something. Maybe they slipped back into uh, some of the things that they used to do before they got saved. And by the way, that happens to many Christians. That's what Paul, uh, as God allowed him to write what we call 1 Corinthians, because of a lot of issues that those in Corinth had before they got saved that they were still struggling with. Because listen, when we get saved, we're changed from the inside out, but it begins the work of God in our lives. Look, no one becomes perfect in this life. Uh, we are maturing. We're a work in progress. Can I get an amen? amen? I don't think there's any perfect person here tonight, you know? And so think about it now tonight is Paul says, look, but one thing, and listen, when I got saved, I've never struggled in that area. I've never doubted my salvation. And I'm not here to cause someone to think, well, am I saved or not saved? But I'm going to tell you tonight, according to the Word of God, that when you got saved, God gave you everlasting life. He gave you eternal life. Who gave that life to you? Yeah. So if He gave it to you, can you lose it? No, because you didn't give it to yourself, right? Now, I've never doubted. I've never struggled with that. But I've known some people who have, who have had faith to be saved. But then somewhere along the way, they thought, well, I don't know if I'm saved. Faith is not based on a feeling. It's based on the facts of God's word. And Paul says, look, I'm going to tell you, in my life and from the writings of the word of God, Paul had a continual faith, a continual belief. He said, it's my earnest expectation. Look at Proverbs 23. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord. Notice the phrase all the day long, for surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Paul was expecting, and here's why, because as I mentioned, because of the prayers of God's saints and because of the supply of the Spirit, he was expecting that Jesus would continue to magnify himself in and through Paul's life. In other words, God had been working through Paul's life, and, and Paul was saying, Lord, continue to use my life. 
continue to work through my life that other people might be saved by the grace of God. And this was Paul's hope. The word hope there, we've been dwelling on this entire year. Here's what it means. It's the expectation of good hope. It was this hope that was the foundation of Paul's expectation. Paul says, look, I expect, I have hope. We have been anchored all year long. We're anchored by hope, and our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. Psalm 62, 5, the psalmist said, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. My hope, in other words, the only hope I have. Can you imagine Paul there? Listen, his hope wasn't in the prison. His hope wasn't in the warden. His hope wasn't in the, uh, the, the guard that was guarding him. His hope wasn't in his shackles. His hope was in his God as he spent time there in that prison. Now, what was Paul's expectation? What was his confidence in? Well, one thing that he mentions here, that in nothing he would be ashamed. Look at verse 20 again. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, notice the phrase, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Now, when we see words like that, we, we tend to think in our minds, uh, it, when it comes to like English and, and how words are defined, but here's what the word means. Ashamed deals with this matter of to dishonor or to disgrace. Now, what was Paul saying? He says, I hope that in no way that my life would ever dishonor or bring disgrace to Jesus Christ. There's many times that Paul writes about not being a stumbling block to other people. Folks, that ought to be your prayer and mine, is that our life is lived above reproach. That you and I would never bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why, listen, at your workplace, if you've told people, that you are a Christian. You know what that means? They're watching everything you do. And the first little slip up, and by the way, all of us do, the first little thing you do, they're going to say, uh-huh, I knew it. I knew it. And by the way, I have found that whenever I do something like that, that first I try to get right with the Lord, and then secondly, I go to them and I apologize. And I tell them, listen, that was wrong of me. Now listen, can you hardly ever hear an adult in a workplace go to another fellow worker and apologize to them for maybe something they said or something they did? And Paul says, listen, I want my life to where there is no way that my life would bring shame or reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ. How many of you agree that every child of God ought to live that way? Amen. That's right. Listen. And Paul says, look, that in nothing I would be ashamed. 1 Peter 4, 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, and this is what Paul's doing right now, and maybe some of you have experienced suffering in your life, he says, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And so Paul says, look, one of my expectations is that I would not bring shame to the name of Christ. But then notice also, he says that he would continue to have boldness. I love the statement here in verse 20. Look at this. That with all boldness, and notice the phrase, as always. <laughs> I 
I don't think Paul had a problem talking to people about Jesus. I think it just, it just oozed out of him. I think if you stuck Paul, it would just flow right out of him, you know? And uh, if he went to the hospital and they tried to draw blood, uh, it, he'd probably be sitting there while they're drawing the blood out of his arm saying, hey, listen, do you know Jesus as your Savior? I mean, everywhere he went, Paul says, listen, I just want to have the boldness to talk to people. Have you ever been around someone and in your mind you're thinking, I'm sure that they're not interested? Or you're scared of that person because of the way they look or how big they are or maybe something along those lines. Maybe a bunch of tattoos or something just kind of strange about the person. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you, I have. There's been times where I've looked at somebody and in my mind I'm thinking, he's not going to want to listen. And then, and then God gave me the boldness to start to talk to that person. And over a short amount of time, I've seen a few of those people trust Christ. As I've seen some of those people who listened. They didn't get saved. And I always walk away going, boy, I was wrong about that one. <laughs> I never would have saw that one. Because many times, you know what we look at? We look at the outside. But you know what God's looking at? He's looking at the heart. And we see here that Paul says, God, I, I want to continue to have boldness. The word boldness means freedom in speaking and unreservedness in speech. Paul says that I don't want to bring any reproach to the name of Christ. I want to have boldness. He says, that is my confidence. That's my expectation. And he says, I am expecting Christ to work, he says, because of the prayers of the church and because of the Spirit of God working in and through me. But notice he also had faith to magnify Christ. The Bible says again, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. Paul wanted Christ to be magnified. And here's, the, here's really what the meaning is. He says, look, I'm not talking in the future. Paul's saying right now, while I'm in this prison, I want Christ to be magnified now at this present time. Folks, we ought not to be thinking down the road, maybe at the end of 2018. We ought to be thinking about tomorrow. I want Christ to be magnified. Even in prison, Paul believed that God was working. God would glorify himself. The word magnified means to make or to declare great. John, John put it this way in John 3.30. Look at this. He must increase. I must decrease. You know what that means? God needs to get bigger in your life and you need to get smaller. When we, look, when we make him preeminent first place, uh, Jesus says, as I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And, and Paul says, look, that is my heart's desire is that I want to magnify the Lord. And that ought to be the aim and the goal of all of our lives is that our lives would magnify, that Christ would be magnified through our lives. Look, if anything good comes out of our lives, don't take the credit. Say, praise the Lord. You know, magnify Him for what He has done. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of the faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our, our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified. Look, even in our lives, in our physical bodies, and this is something that Paul realized that was part of his testimony was his physical body. God was giving him the strength. The Holy Spirit was enabling him. And folks, even in your life, 
you know, is we need to understand that God's given us this, this temple, this tabernacle, that the Holy Spirit, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And, and understand that th it is this body that we have. And the Bible says here in Romans 12, 1, look at this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your what? Your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know what the Bible's saying there? That even our physical bodies should be used to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't imagine the suffering that Paul went through. I, I seriously can't. I've read many of the accounts, many of the passages that deal with what Paul went through. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten, he was stoned, on and on and on. He was left in the deep. I mean, there were so many times Paul's body had to be racked with pain. I guarantee you, he probably lived with constant pain. But remember, he also lived with continual belief and he had continuous joy in his heart. It's kind of interesting that all of that would abide together. And it is because he had faith faith to expect Christ to work, and he had faith to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that was the faith that he had for rejoicing. But then notice, because even in Paul's life, his prison where he was wasn't going to last forever. There would be a future. Paul said that, that it, all of this shall turn. That's future tense. So notice thirdly tonight, the future in rejoicing. And I love verse 21. Let's read this verse again together, all right? Here we go. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is and to die is gain. Now, what a great verse tonight, because this verse really gives the whole philosophy of the life of a Christian, and it's all summed up here in this little bitty phrase. Notice, first of all, to live is Christ. What a great thought tonight. Now, the Holy Spirit, notice here the wording. It says, for to me. Everybody see that there? For to me. Who's, who's, who's the one that is writing here? It's the Apostle Paul. So what the Holy Spirit does is he kind of at the beginning of this statement, he gives a part of what I believe is Paul's personal testimony. There was something that he himself was living through. And this was Paul's mind. Paul's mind was to put the work of God first, to put uh, the gospel first. Every ounce that that Paul had in his body, every last bit of energy, he used it to live for the Lord. Now, folks, I appreciate people that expend themselves for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a lot of people who have been saved, but they never do anything for the Lord. And Paul says, look, as much as in me is, he said in the book of Romans. And in our lives, when God saves us, God gives us life in every ounce of energy. Listen, everything we do, we need to do as unto the Lord. And Paul used his energy. He was consumed uh, for his Lord. And, and we need to be the same way. Look at Romans 14. And none of us, uh, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. What a great testimony Paul tells those in Rome, and here's why. Because Paul never got over the fact that Jesus loved him so much that he was willing to go to Calvary and give himself so that Paul and all who would be born into this world could have 
eternal life. In other words, Paul never got over his salvation. How long have you been saved tonight? Have you gotten over your salvation? Sometimes I get around people, I say, how long have you been saved? I hear 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. But you know, I, I find that there are many times people lose the joy of their salvation. They take for granted what God did for them and they forget the wonder of it all. But notice as Paul gives a testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ constraineth us, he writes. He says, look, it's, it's the love of God, what he did for me. He says, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live. Are you alive today? Listen, if you're going to eat some pie, you better be alive, you know. But he says, if we are alive today, and by the way, if you are saved, you're alive in Christ. And look at this. He says that every one of us that live, that henceforth we should not live unto ourselves, themselves, but unto him. We should live for the Lord who died for us and rose again. Your life should be lived. That's what Paul was doing in that prison. He says, look, he says, if it wasn't for the Lord, I would have been gone a long time ago. He says, God's extended my life. So what if I'm in a prison? He says, I can still have joy right here in this jail. He says, listen, there are people that I can talk to about the Lord. And that's why God allowed him to write these words and look at it again. For to me to live is Christ. But Paul says, listen, there's a future. I don't know what the future holds. And by the way, you and I, none of us do. None of us know what's going to happen in 2018. And by the way, I don't think the Bible says God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. If we are with the Lord and we are walking with the Lord, listen, everything that happens in this new year, God's going to be right there with us. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, right? But think about this. He says, for me to live is Christ. But to die, oh, that's a bad thing. Well, that's not what it says. To die is gain. And how many times, I know growing up, I didn't get saved till I was 20. And the religious system that I was a part of, death was a very morbid thing. I, you know, I, honestly, I, I, I just shuddered whenever I found out somebody passed away because I didn't want to go to a funeral. It was the most saddest, hardest things that I ever had to do as a kid was to go to a funeral. And when I got saved and I went to the first funeral of a saint of God, I thought, man, that was like a celebration. That was like a, almost like a party in church, you know? The word eulogy means to say a good word about. And Paul says, listen, for me to die, if that's what the Lord's will is for me, he says, to die is gain. Now, I want you to think about this because death is always a gain for a Christian. It's always a gain. The word gain means advantage. And as Paul is writing this, the advantage that Paul was saying here is that death is no threat to him. I mean, it's like the, it's like the guy that was out knocking doors and, and the guy pulls out a gun at the door and sticks it in his face and he says, what are you going to do, threaten me with heaven? I mean, seriously, think about it. Some of you will get that later on, maybe after a couple of pieces of pie. But listen, for the Christian to die physically, the Bible says that you and I will be in the presence of Almighty God. Look at it. He says here in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we're confident 
I say, and willing rather. He says, look, I have no problem leaving this earth. He says, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, one day we're going to be with him. It's going to be a glorious day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at this. Paul writes there to the church in Thessalonica, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Notice he's talking to Christians, and he says, concerning them which are asleep, those that have passed away, those whose lives have ended, he says that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Folks, listen, people who aren't saved, they don't have the hope that you and I that know Christ do. And he says, listen, notice what the Bible calls the dead in Christ, that they're just sleeping. You know, it's like what happened in Stephen's life when they were about to stone him, you know? What a peaceful way, even though it was such a brutal death, how Stephen kneeled down and they saw his face as the face of an angel. Folks, listen, when a believer dies, although we in our hearts sorrow because we no longer will be able to spend time with them in, in this life, we know that we have the assurance of seeing them once again someday in heaven. I tell people sometimes when I'm out traveling, somebody gets saved. I've told many people this. I've said to them, listen, I may never see you again in this life, but I will tell you based upon your salvation here, I said, I'll see you again someday in heaven. I'm thinking about a man that I talked to in the state of Indiana one time. He was sitting on a moped and I took the word of God out and I began to share the message of the gospel with him. He never got off the moped. He prayed the prayer sitting right there on that moped. And I used his Bible that he had in his book bag to lead him to Christ. And the smile that was on his face after he prayed that prayer. I began to talk to him and, I, and, and he was actually from Barbados. And he had moved to Indiana. And I said, listen, Paul, I said, I don't know if I'll ever see you again. I said, I'm living in California. I said, someday I'll see you up in heaven. And he just got a big smile on his face. Folks, I'm going to tell you, you're missing out if you're not telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, there's a reason that I have this joy. Even though I'm sitting here in this prison, rejoicing in Christ doesn't happen on accident, folks. It comes from choosing to remember all that God has done for us, how faithful he has been to us and the future that he is preparing for us. And so tonight, I want you to think about this because we all need a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What spirit am I talking about? The Bible describes it this way, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus, going to Calvary, still had joy because he knew that it was God's will. Do you have God's joy in your life tonight? If not, you need to ask God to give you a fresh supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the Word of God. What a great thought, Lord, for me to live is Christ. I hope that we're living for Christ. I hope that our lives are a testimony that we are not bringing shame and reproach upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, to die 
It's going to happen someday unless you return. But if it does happen, what a great hope we have. To die is gain. There's no fear of death. Lord, we understand that you've conquered death, hell, and the grave. And we thank you for the hope that we have. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd bless this simple invitation tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.